Okay, so welcome to You Talking with Greg. Uh, my guest today uh, is coach extraordinaire, philosopher extraordinaire, Nick Jankel. Nick, welcome to the program. Hello, Greg. It's such a divine um, and yet very thisworldly pleasure to be in conversation with you. Since the time we first uh, connected, I felt um, uh, a real brotherhood in our 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 worked our work in both theory and practice and how we blend those within ourselves and within the work you know dude man i, I totally felt that spiritual atheism is a is a beautiful articulation and certainly speaks uh to my soul and where and where i've evolved from and to and maybe where i'm headed and i felt the exact same synergy it's really really uh kind, kind of striking and remarkable at times like oh my gosh there's another guy living my life on the across the pond <laughs> exactly <laughs> So, uh, so one of the things that actually you and I haven't done a huge amount uh, that, you know, kind of I like to do in these kinds of settings is just to hear the story of the person uh, in relationship to how they got here and what the, what were some of the kind of driving forces or transformative moments uh, that brought them and what makes, uh, you know, things alive for you. So maybe yeah. we can begin there. I love that last bit there. That's the practitioner in you. What brings things alive for you? And then... <laughs> Boom! I'm like, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, where do we start? Um, I have a kind of strangely, I've been told, metamodern story of my own biographical journey, um, oh which um, I didn't know that term until someone said to me, "You've got a metamodern biography." I was like, "Yay for me!" Um, so, long story short, I grew up fairly standardly in a kind of semi-religious Jewish upbringing. It wasn't fairly religious. It was reform. It was progressive. Right. It was, uh, my dad was a, absolutely not into that. He was a, a car carrying behavioral psychologist and Marxist. Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and still, still is. Um, and my mother uh, was a humanistic psychotherapist and social worker. So, oh, so you were born into the psychological world. Huh? I was. <laughs> and yet I was born into these two polarities. The Skinnerian behaviorist who cares what's going on inside let's give you a carrot and a stick and we'll we'll make some change happen and then there's this sort of oh but to tell me how it's feeling for you uh in the humanistic uh thing you um, mean there's a split in psychology around those domains oh, I, I nerd that <laughs> that schism became the divorce of my parents um okay. when well, i was fairly young fairly young age so <laughs> wrap that in that's um, metaphorical huh <laughs> exactly <laughs> Um, nothing like as below, so above, uh, and vice versa. So then I, um, I kind of, you know, was wounded, a wounded soul. Um, uh, have since realized how sensitive and artistic I was, and that wasn't really available oh. as a archetype. Right. Um, which maybe we'll come back to because it's something that I'm really dwelling on around anima animus. Uh, uh, the, the, yeah. the, I wouldn't say that's so the, the girl in me, but the feminine energy and the they in me i think would be a better right. way of saying it you know nice. a non-binary part of me um anyway carried on uh decided around 13 i was gonna have psychotherapy uh it's kind of decided for me because i was a fairly maladapted person uh, okay. socially a lot mm. of anger a lot of rage mm. um went into psychotherapy for three years pretty traditional mm -hmm. post-freudian um, didn't really get into it really if i'm honest with mm. you didn't really get into those areas uh, mm -hmm. i tried it again a few times but didn't ever quite get there it was very mm. because it was all about the cognitive layer mm. didn't go into the heart didn't and really body. Get into my heart and body i don't think that was part of the conversation 
And there's only, as we know, there's only a certain amount, or not everyone knows, there's only a certain amount of change that can happen through cognitive reflecting. If it stays up here, you know. If it stays up here. Uh, but I decided to be a, a doctor and I decided to be a psychiatrist around that time. Oh, really? So I was like, okay. might as well do the royal path of this psychology thing. Mm. Um, and long story short, rejected my Jewishness, became an atheist around okay. 15. Uh, that's where that's where my book spiritual atheist starts like gotcha. i'm in the synagogue and i'm reading some bits of what i now know as kabbalistic wisdom okay at the back of the prayer book there were just these little bits mm. selected right, right i'm going this is really interesting but this two-hour thing that i'm going through super boring <laughs> patriarchal not getting it doing nothing for me no meaning right. no vibe neither meaning nor energy you know there's neither mm. so i popped out went okay. to um cambridge which, as I describe it in various places, is like the high altar of atheism. Ah, like, really? Like, okay. if you want to go to Cambridge and do dolphin music and um, tribal drumming, it's going to uh. be a really challenging ride for you. People did, <laughs> but I don't know any in the medical and scientific campus I was in, right? Wow. Okay. So um, I'm studying medicine. I'm studying psychology. I'm studying all this great stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then a couple of things happened that were really like um what we would now call bifurcation points in my life okay what i called at the time breakdowns um because i didn't have the tools right, well, no, the, in the retrospect thing, yeah i didn't know how <laughs> right, when you're in it the, the tools of transformation allow you to see preempt that what you think is a breakdown a crisis a burnout um a collapse is actually and this is as above so below so, so socially as psychologically these are all opportunities for upgrade of consciousness for right. transformational yep. upgrades um i say that obviously because of the collapse collapsology we're in at the moment you know this the, yep. as a society right right um and a couple of the themes too. yeah and a couple of the things that came out were one medical science didn't have enough to resolve my not just psychological challenges but i then by then had been diagnosed with a chronic pain syndrome called fibromyalgia and oh, God. the medic, ironically, is studying rheumatology at the time. This is ridiculous. So, like, okay. literally, the head of rheumatology at one of the world's best hospitals had nothing mm -hmm. for me, right? Wow. Um, I wasn't even sure fibromyalgia existed. You know, it took me about five years for anyone to commit to that being something. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was going through um, a collapse of my relational experiences with myself, with the world, and with, other, with, with, with women. Um, and that precipitated me to leave medic the, the medical world. Okay. Um, however, one thing that had happened, a stroke of luck slash union serendipities, synchronicities uh -huh. had occurred. In the Cambridge system, you get to choose one year to choose something that isn't medicine. Huh. And most medics choose neurobiology, um, cognitive science, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know quite how. I managed to study history and philosophy of science. With ah. a specialism in history and philosophy of social science. So okay. suddenly I'm reading Kuhn and right. I'm reading Foucault and I'm reading yeah. Derrida uh, or trying to read Derrida. I should be bracket, put try. Um, you can get the cliff notes on Derrida. <laughs> I'm reading critiques of psychoanalysis. I'm reading mm. um, uh, evolutionary psychology and critiques of evolutionary psychology. Can you de deconstruct evolutionary theory? You know, suddenly, and this was the first time in my life I went from being generally curious mm -hmm. i've always loved learning like right, give me anything right, right. to learn i'll find something interesting in it but right. suddenly sparks were flying 
I was oh. kind of running to the school to the university library right. every morning after a night of partying. Oh. I should add that was a big part of the journey. Right. Uh, and I mean that actually. I mean that I spent a year in Africa and I really got a community relational field I'd never experienced before. And I'd also been diving into um, what we could now call consciousness medicines. Um, okay. Nice reframe. Um, and experiencing the rave scene in England, which at the time was a fundamentally new form of relating. Peer-to-peer, -peer, where people from different races and classes, and you remember England's a very class-based society, as is America. I think we should, we should, we should be clear. So I was ending up hanging out in, in apartments of, of people from from really, I would say, say without being judgmental for myself, the underclass of right. the left behind, the yep. forgotten. Right. I would don't see them as underclass, but I think they right. would. No, at a structural science. level, sure. The left behind, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so that was shifting my whole world, and then about I what time is this? Is this what time are, are we? This was the nineties. Nineties was my sort of totally. time. All right. Though. Oh, yeah. um, which I think is interesting because there's also, I, I call the 90s peak, um, you could call it peak jet blue. Okay. Where <laughs> we didn't think twice about flying off to a city break. Who Carbon? Who's heard about carbon? You know, right, no right. one cares, right? Yeah, it's the so Clinton it's kind of years peak, for us over here. It's like, woohoo! Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it was peak, cap, peak capitalism, peak convenience, yep. peak everything, right? And so I left medicine and part of the call to leave was not just the leaving of something that wasn't working, it was also the attraction to a PhD or something mm. in history of consciousness. I applied mm. to UC Santa Cruz um, to the anthropology um, program at Berkeley, uh, where what's his name, Paul? Um, uh, was it Paul Ricoeur or something? Was was studying? Mm. So I got pulled into what you could call meta theory, for want right. of a better term, right? Right. Right. Um, and that actually then started to inform my pragmatic life because suddenly i didn't do a phd um i well, I, i've now say i've done multiple phds but not in yeah. any university right, um, right. <laughs> don't have the thing on the back on my wall yeah, um so um i got pulled into so if you imagine i've been studying how revolutions happen you know thomas yeah. kuhn classics of the genre i got pulled into an advertising agency that was a specialist in creating disruptive uh, huh. brands interesting okay which is a practice, a practice of yep. how you create um, paradigm shift, how you create um, whatever version of that, you know, epistemic um, yep. shocks, whatever. Transformation. Yep. Mm -hmm. Transformation. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. Um, a lot of consumer research going on. So I kept my hand in being with people, being with people. Right. And I was asking to facilitate difficult groups where you're talking, trying to take CEOs who are wedded uh -huh. to one view of the world and try and upgrade them before a 23 year old from Stanford upgrades their market for them. Right. <laughs> which is fascinating, right? So you're living yeah. disruption, you're living quantum revolutions over and over again. Wow. That then pulled me um, into facil facilitating groups and holding groups. And that pulled me into um, more general innovation work and then leadership work. Wow. And then the leadership work pulled me back into coaching or into coaching. Right, you're, you're... Then I started developing my own one-to-one -one practice, um, mm. both for executive coaching, but also for individual transformational mm. coaching, which guess what, but totally without plan, brought me right back to psychiatry, but just a different door into it. And that's, you know, 
Mass or Menace, the main story, um, but lots, I mean, countless hours of self in the work on this journey, you know. And then now with my wife of 10 years, who is my business partner, and that mm -hmm. has really affected yeah. my work because she comes from the non-academic. Right. Uh, she has a, a, a bachelor's degree, um, but she's a dancer, elite gymnast, a US team gymnast, um, choreographer, wow. and then became a non-verbal craniosacral therapist. So no speaking, holding hands, uh, holding uh, near body sensing nervous systems. Wow. Trauma, trauma healing, basically. Right, trauma healing. Body and 10 years ago, sport. we collided and we've been doing a individual, personal, family and business marriage of the anima animus, the masculine, the feminine, the relational, the rational. I've changed her, she's changed me. And um, oh yeah, wholeness, something like wholeness has been, is, is approaching. I can, you know, right. some, right. some, you know, version of that. Right. Ah. I'll just pause on that for a second. That's beautiful um, at, at multiple levels. Actually, why don't we go a couple of comments and make a couple of comments. So in terms of living parallel lives, so it is in the 1990s uh, mm -hmm. that um, when I uh, enter into psychotherapy the, as a trainer, so I get getting trained in psychotherapy, um, that I then find this weird space between practice, theory, and research, okay? Right. Um, and that is when my empiricism, when it dawns on me, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, broken empiricism and the multiplicity of different ideas and paradigms in the therapy room at a conceptual level actually just creates chaos, really. Right. It's an enormous amount of chaos. And there are all these history of ideas that are impinging upon us in a particular way and just swirling around. And, and, and we can pull out interesting findings, but at a coherent sense-making level, that connects heart, mind to other in a healing way. It's a shit show. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you said that. I want to. I want to share a scene with you. So, no surprise in the history of science, my favorite paper. I, uh, so, it, uh, a paper as a program. My favorite program was the history of psychoanalysis, mm. which was run by um, a very probably the most respected Freud scholar in the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, um who i think um is no longer with us so i'm i'm not happy just to listen to the to the you know read the 13 books right. do some bit of meta criticism and then write a paper and i'm off i want to find the map right and i think this is where you and i have a such a uh we love practice practice is so important but if you don't have a map of where you're going with people what are we doing practicing? You know, totally. where are we, we're just walking around a rat. Oh, it's right. a nice tree. Oh, it's a nice beach. Okay. So we want a map. We know it's not the territory, but it's rooted in the territory. A good map should be a lift direct and be currently co constantly informed by the territory, right? Totally. Yeah. Updated all the time. It's one of the nightmares of my work with Alison on this transformation map of human transformation mm. is it needs to be updated all the time because mm. whole new bits of information are popping up right. all over the map constantly. Right. The language we use, everything. Anyway, picture the University Library at Cambridge. It's like the main library. It's kind okay. of, you can imagine, you know, Ivy League. Mm -hmm. It's kind mm -hmm. of sexy and romantic and, and mm. old-worldly and leather. <laughs> I'm not into leather, but there it was leather, a lot of leather-bound. Yeah, you're getting going fired on. up here, Nick. And you can just sort of see um, ladies just kind of half see them over there, and there's like dark light. There's dark lights mm. with a little green right. glass. You know, you see right, them in of course. Movies of Washington, D.C. all the time, right? <laughs> 
So <laughs> it's probably a name. For yeah, I'm, I'm set in the scene. You got there. So I've got post-it notes and I'm trying to create a map of Freud's, mm. essentially Freud's map. Okay. which he didn't actually have, right? This is the great, great joke of Freud. He had bits of map that were probably more influenced by his own upbringing. Anyway, I'm trying to make sense of an area where has sense has not yet been made. Okay. Plus I'm reading sort of Lacan's critiques Ooh. of all this sort of stuff. Then I'm okay. reading so, sort of, uh, let's say, critical thinking's critique of psychoanalysis as a whole cult. Right. Slash, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. I literally, I went through... A like vortex rabbit hole of of epistemic breakdown but not in a sexy way <laughs> in a not in a disruptive ash a phoenix right. rose from the from the death of the old okay. the rebirth didn't occur at that stage i mm. just there was just death like there was just, just death right just death you got swallowed by the death instinct <laughs> totally thanatos ruled and um i just and the irony is this was my paper where i put more time than you could imagine into it and I got the least good marks because I didn't have yet enough sense making right to make sense but the irony is the practice why well, I say it's the practice of psychotherapy didn't then have enough sense itself right so I how could I create a map of a mapless territory uh being 19 you know or 21 20 something whatever okay. so anyway yes. I just I can feel that same Sense that's exactly of, right. Yeah, no, this is total terror. There's so much model and not model, not enough actually. There's so much. Um, I was actually on your um, uh, webinar last night, mm, and oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah, and I was so excited to hear that. So I spent the last twenty years trying to understand how brain science could create an underlying solidity of which different practices and theories and yep. inner wisdoms can all collect yep. without becoming a reductionist and making everything yep. about the movement of of ions across a, a neural, neural pathway and i was so inspired to hear the four of you talking about how you as a i guess pioneers of, of psychotherapy as a field and given that i do quite deep transformational inner child psychodynamic trauma healing coaching it's like a therapy, right? But I can't call it that. Of course. Yeah, no, okay. right. right. I'm so, not ready. I may give up my license, by the way, because if we really actually need to get this stuff generalized, not out of the goddamn professional voice. hearing you guys and us all coming to the same conclusions, reconsolidation, massive, neuroplasticity, massive, um, the different brain networks, massive, the effect of trauma on learning. And I was like, pop, pop, pop. Everyone is now... I hope consolidating around a core process of transformation yep. around which the different methods and approaches can, can cluster. And that's what I feel I've achieved, I guess, is to understand that process, both wow. as a practitioner to feel my way along it with someone yep. as a guide or, or advisor coach, right. or whatever. but actually now to both, describe the process in my first book and then spiritual atheist was actually the metaphysics you need to believe that process can exist because there's part of it which you guys labeled yesterday the corrective emotional experience mm -hmm. that for me is where spirituality pops in because that yep. is the the alpha and omega of corrective ex emotional experiences and i know psychotherapy still wants to be a science so it can't really bring this mysticism in um 
Well, we can talk about how it can do that if it's framed let's correctly, it. okay? Let's, exactly. let's figure out how this, so this is, you know, great. Thank you for attending that. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I was very encouraged. I, I think there is something that's happening at number numerous levels that are forwarding the system uh, opportunities for stepping forward and maybe generating a theory research practice uh, intersection that's actually up to the task of having a coherent map and model that does justice to the territory in, in the right sort of way. And, and that's, that's really exciting. I mean, that's never happened. Uh, you and I obviously both, and I've talked to other people, I think you and I carry this in a particular kind of um, resonant way. It's absent. I mean, you know, this is what I, I flip out. I'm haunted by the problem of psychology, what I call, I, you know, yeah. I can't understand why people don't care about it on the one hand. It's totally. like, like, we're all the, you know, theories of everything, quantum mechanics, general relativity. Listen, folks, if Ed Witten or whoever, some math mathematical genius manages that, your lives don't change at all. And the meaning of the fight you just have with your wife doesn't change at all. <laughs> Okay, it's like, but the idea that we don't know what mind and matter is in a scientific sense with any degree of coherence then then speaks to things like corrective emotional experiencing and the longing for spiritual enlightenment and connection and what that means from the wisdom tradition. Absolutely. I mean, and there's no capacity to talk with any kind of coherence in relationship to the bridge from the atomic field of matter, which we know about scientifically, into the evolution of ourselves as organisms into animals into primates into persons and then what does it mean for us to be here today and to look out at what john berbeke calls the meaning crisis and wonder what the fuck we're doing and seeing so many people i mean suicides on an epidemic rate depression and anxiety there's just an unbelievable shattering of connection in certain ways and a shriveling of our souls so nick help us with the metaphysics of spirituality and <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as below, so above, right? So I experienced this. I, I call it a schism in my work, or or a or the double bind, which is you know a famous understanding, right? Of course. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, we should ch tell people what, very quickly what the double bind is. So the double that. bind is. Um, no, don't tell them that. <laughs> okay. Oh wait, no, go ahead and tell them. <laughs> well, I'll speak it. I'll speak it in a different way to make it less. Part of my reformation and coming away from the addiction of co cognition and the addiction of cleverness and the addiction of rational complexity mm -hmm. meta theories grand narratives whatever you want to call it i'm coming out of that addiction mm -hmm. um and part of it for me is to be able to say things simply but no simpler um and not create language and lingo and meaning structures that disassociate and disembody myself right and therefore fragment others and um and create more what i've called this patriarch patriarchy games like yep. the desire to go up and up and up um and i get it because i've had that desire all my life but part of it's been trauma driven and i'm really owning that at the moment right right so for me there's a schism super simply between what we feel our hearts intuit yep when we're quiet enough to hear our hearts intuiting away right. um and what our minds think is real and concrete from our empirical understanding that has then been lensed by the modern scientific project totally mediated by yep. so we've basically been told in the atheistic world of science that only what you can measure exists yep bottom line um and if you can't measure it who cares which hence gives the psychological the 
the psychology gap because you have a science of consciousness that doesn't believe in consciousness, which is one of the funniest ironies of the world today. Hey, we're trying to make sense out of shit over here, Nick. Totally. So we're going to use a method created for measuring matter to try and understand mind, which we don't even agree what it is or know what it is. In fact, we don't even really think it exists, most of us. We think it's just an epiphenomenon, but you don't even know what that is either because that means it exists, but it can't exist because it's just neurons firing, dot, dot, dot. Um, anyway, the schism is between um, when I, put it really simply, when I hold my child in my arms, or when I did, because don't do it very often, although I had to recently because I was in A&E, with my son and you know these are really liminal moments which slash peak experiences you know whatever you want to call these moments right where the veil of everyday bullshit is pierced by crisis or by love or by drugs whatever right right so when we when we feel our child or we stand on a mountain or we are in a flow like the movie soul when they're playing piano you know um uh or we are in a festival dancing with random people hugging them whatever these moments right. when you're in a when you're in a therapy session right and right. you get a moment of the it oh, our hearts intuit that there is something there which is not measurable by science or we can operationalize or instrumentalize the measurement of it but it's not it totally. that's what we intuit but our minds say we're not allowed to have that thought particularly if you've grown up in a scientific yep. tradition where you have to discount all of it or reduce it to, um, you know, some kind of reductionist yep. version of mindfulness or this or that. And I, I love knowing that gray matter increases in the amygdala area when we, when we do meditation, but it, it's just a re it's an affirmation of what's real. It's not, it's not what's real, right? Uh, that's a. So if we have, so therefore we have, and so we have this schism on the individual yep. level, right? With ourselves, yes. So no, my heart and my mind are no longer, not me now, but yeah, prior yeah, to that's... fifteen years ago, my heart and my mind. I use they're just metaphors, but yep. you know, my rational thought and my relational feeling about life, beautiful, yep. are yep. not aligned. Totally. That schism goes out into the next level of complexity. That's right. In my relationships. Then it goes out to the next level of complexity in, in enterprises, build institutions, projects, then into systems, then into... And it goes backwards also into our relationship to that which is deep within us. Totally. And, and I think you can reach the mystical that way up into transcendent and that way down into imminent. And ultimately, uh, they, they come back on like a full... Totally, like a full arc somewhere in the cosmos. There's an, there's an arc going on, meeting. There's a circle meeting. Um, the sky and the earth meet, you know, that's the yeah, beauty totally. of, the, of the imminence and the transcendence. And so this schism affects everything. And until we repair the schism, because it's just a schism in relationship, well, not just, it is a schism in relationship. It's not schism in rational thought. So we can't repair it with mind. The mind can help us understand what and how and why. And then at some point we have to stop thinking and do work, experiential work. And until we do that on the individual level, honestly, I don't think anything will tangibly change, even if we create a, a Bitcoin that creates tree, plants trees, or we create, we're gonna create a theory of everything. Doesn't matter any of that stuff. 
will not help us regenerate our world until we do this, what I'm call, calling now the great repair that starts within and then reaches out across these relational fields. <clears throat> Loved ones, people like, you know, us in communitas, in fellowship, yeah. citizenries, citizens of the whole earth. Beautiful. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I feel now compelled to articulate what it will is the sort of guiding light, at least for the first part of this podcast, uh, which is that I am engaged in dialogos, dialogue, deep dialogue and relation in search of a coherent naturalistic ontology that can revitalize the human soul and spirit in the 21st century. It seems to me, Mick, you have things to say about that. <laughs> I want to say, say, amen. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, right, we can just- Oh my God, of great irony. But maybe I should say the kind of um, West Coast hippie version, aho. Aho. <laughs> <laughs> just to appropriate someone else's culture i don't right. understand well, hey uh, you know now we're gonna get emails <laughs> exactly exactly um so yes i mean i love that sentence so um again let's unpack the first bit because the second bit is like is the language of relation the language of love so you've created a sentence that already already marriages chemically marriages chemically marriages mysterium conjuncto ionis of jung brings the masculine and feminine together, right? That's, so let's unpack that. that. Yep. I and mean, that's the work, right? Yeah. And um, so you've got a, um, uh, an ontology, uh, a metaphysics, and a way of understanding mm. what is and what being is and who we are and right. how it all works. That's naturalistic. And this is really interesting because yeah. I think you and I again agree because a lot of people who are doing this bridging yep. probably less wedded to a naturalistic Yep. ontology than i think you and i are yep definitely but and, or and i think we both agree that that naturalism doesn't have to be the materialist reductionist right. naturalism totally. of the last and it's only been the last hundred years people don't seem to realize in the history of science the early scientists didn't have such a nope. scientismist yep. view yeah, right? totally right that emerged right. like victorian times it was even even really with the new atheists when it became rigid totally. and unflexible and and um right. so unsexy but that's another conversation uh, no well then uh, i mean actually yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so i mean uh, the the coherent naturalistic ontology right let's we can let's spend some time deconstructing where i, I definitely is naturalistic rather than physicalist or materialist exactly right? so uh, I did a blog a little while ago and sort of diagnosed a taxonomy of four different worldviews, scientific worldviews. So you can have a theological worldview, say dualist, classic Christian worldview. There's that and any number. When I say science, I do mean the modern empirical natural science enterprise that emerges in Western Europe and gives us the Newtonian physics, which then does, in my opinion, serve as a ground for a particular type of epistemological process that generates a particular kind of ontology. Um, that I think uh, in Roy Bashkar's correct framing gives us a transcendent realism or the possibility of a transcendent realism. What I mean by that is I think that we've transcended at least the normal human cultural contextual variables of knowing with modern science in a different sort of way. Um, and so I think that the atomic theory of matter, for instance, the idea that uh, there's, you know, after the big bang, you get hydrogen and helium and a little bit of lithium that I think is actually an ontology that's far beyond our just normal human knowing, 
but it's afforded through the processes of experimentation, quantitative analysis, uh, yields a particular picture of reality that I think is a map that really corresponds. Uh, and if there were other intelligent beings that used deductive reasoning or some analogy to it, they too would arrive at something very much akin to the atomic theory of matter. Okay. And, and they have, according and, by some readings, that the, there is an atomic theory of matter in a number of wisdom traditions that is culturally specific to that. Right, place. right. And other traditions. I was actually thinking of alien life forms in that regard. So if we met an alien life form yes. uh, that had deductive capacities, I think that they, that, that's a great question about how much our human epistemology yes. swallows and the phenomena of, of understanding swallows Absolutely. the ontology. I, Roy Baskar criticizes uh, a Kantian, a strong version of Kantianism that says, hey, epistemology more or less is, has to be gr the ground of knowing. Um, at least that's a potential argument. And Roy, I think, makes a very good case that says, no, actually, we can actually infer ontological claims beyond our uh, human phenomenology. That's a great, anyway, more less technical and more just embodied is sort of like, um, I commit to a particular naturalism. Uh, the, there has there emerged in what I consider just an unworkable physical reductionism. Okay, uh, when we see the eliminative materialism, that is what makes consciousness really dismissed in certain ways. It's just oh, we know that it's all physical, mechanical matter and motion process, and everything else stacked on top of it isn't really real. The real ontology is just the base, and this is just an illusion or an epiphenomenon. That's what I call scientific worldview A, and I just think it's completely misguided. And really when you push the people, although the culture sort of absorbs that, I had a nephew that came back from college and like, oh, I learned I was just a bunch of chemicals. Okay, so you can hear that. Um, I don't think any, many, any or many, there are a few, but not many serious scientists and philosophers take scientific worldview A, although it's understood sort of simplistically as the version of science. Then you get scientific worldview B, which is adopted by the normative mainstream, I argue. Sean Carroll is an articulation, uh, gives good articulation of this. This says, yes, our best ontology is in the core of, say, quantum mechanics, general relativity, core theory stuff. And then we have a pragmatic emergent um, process that's real in some ways, and then it's helpful to talk about. He calls that poetic naturalism, but he's fine with substituting materialism or physicalism in with naturalism. Totally. Okay? Um, that's scientific worldview B, and I think that's the dominant scientific worldview uh, that's operative. It's got a weak emergence in it, but really is essentially pictorially in relationship to now what I'll put scientific worldview C is it, it would depict matter into life, into mind, into a single culture of complexification. I mean, cone of complexification. So that it's all really kind of layers of reduction, okay? Um, in fact, the unity of science, the logic of positive has talked about the layered cake or layered ontology model, and it was just a layers of system. The tree of knowledge gives us a new ontology. And it yeah. says, no, if when we go from uh, particle energy into then matter, and we go from particles into atoms into chemistry across scale, yes, that's a kind of emergence. But then when we jump into life, okay, uh, something new is happening in the universe at life. And that's a new epistemic process. So life actually is a kind of cognition from this vantage point. It's a kind of information processing and then communication between systems that creates a negentropic causal feedback loop, mm -hmm. okay? 
that is a that's a new kind of causation that is not present in physical science. Okay, and so it's a it's and that means that there's a generative ontological process that is between dimensions, which is not within dimensions. So it requires a different idea of what emergence is. So it's mm -hmm. interdimensional emergence. And it says also there's a knowing process now that's activated at the biophysiological level. Then the tree of knowledge says at the mind level, the neuro information processing, and then the behavior of the animal as a whole and its sensory motor functions. And then finally, at the cultural process level, talking and the connection of intersubjectivity through the highway of language is yet another knowing process, okay? So what that means is, is that if you take that seriously, you say, yeah, no, there isn't an ontological reduction, okay? This conversation is absolutely not an epiphenomenon of quantum process. Right. This conversation resides in a complex adaptive plane of existence that actually doesn't reduce um, to the animal mental layer. It actually resides at the cultural person level. The justification systems operate as wholes that can't be broken down into words or letters or sounds, but actually operate at a form level. And you and I, as information processors at the cultural person level, okay, are engaged in a new ontological process, you know, just like animals are, just like cells were. And so that's, so that scientific worldview C um, is a, has a different kind of emergence and it makes different kinds of ontological claims that are, that says emergence is not just a weak or epistemological, there's actually interdimensional ontological emergence at the level of cause. That's what I, and what that means then is that this conversation and all of its engendered potentially has an ontological status that's anything but epiphenomenal. It's essential potentially. Then there's scientific worldview D, which then says, yeah, the, the no, the, you can't materialistically describe this conversation. There must be a universe of consciousness or a God. And there's that's all this the, other. That's where the coin, so you've got the tree in C yeah. and then the coin mm -hmm. is in D because the tree st still is missing something, right? The interiority. Right. Right. Well, the tree. Right. So, the, and but I argue that this is right. I, I argue that I, I, the tree of knowledge, which mm. then represents a scientific ontology, which mm. then the coin represents our ideographic subjective souls. Absolutely. Right? That's what I'd use the term soul there. Uh, and had a, a materialistic shot judder. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that, what I mean by that is a there's a yeah. if you have the right ontology of yeah. the mind and matter relation. It makes yeah. perfect sense that our uh, that we can build models of consciousness and self. I've done that with John Verbeke. Yeah. Now, however, what people need to understand is a you need to build a scientific generalized model of what those entities are. Okay. But science is always about the general and abductive reasoning of general process. It's never about idiosyncratic, unique, particular histories there, there that is are no unreliable. Science. There's no science of one of an individual. Is the oh. general. And so here we are, but I live, I'm, I, my, my life matters, Nick. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Just right. not to science. <laughs> Just not to science. So we actually, if the language game of science a priori says, absolutely. I can't see you, then it has a gap. It has a hole. Absolutely. It has an epistemological gap to my unique idiosyncratic soul. That hole is filled by the coin. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then, and, and the other thing that science clearly can't say is how ought to we live as, as what is the narratives and values, ethical values we live by. 
So, and that's of course what I struggled with in the practice domain that you yes. undoubtedly get is like, well, what ought to we do? What is, what do we value? What ought to we do? Science just says, well, what, this is what it is from some distant objective standpoint that's inductive. So it doesn't carry subjectivity and it doesn't carry ethical narrative, you know? And the garden then, the garden in the unified theory of knowledge you talk, the garden is the placeholder for what would represent a wisdom, ethical, shared, mythopoetic narrative of being that would then, and then finally I'll say for me, then my soul then orients towards that. And to the extent that I realize that transcendent collective, that's my spirit. And the bridge then from my soul to the spirit is when I'm aligned with whatever the ultimate good would be and it shines back on me. Mm. Yeah, more. <laughs> love that. And I love the last bit. That was uh, then you, the poetic naturalism came back in there and it shines back mm -hmm. on me, right? Mm -hmm. I know the face of God because it is me. You know, the, 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 the compass of the birds, the Sufi story, they go off searching for God, uh, oneness, spirit. Mm. And they go through all these journeys which are metaphors of maladaptive pattern transformation right and then and uh, each bird represents a uh you know a, a pattern okay. and then the last birds that are still going on get to the door of this uh, where they think that the, where they're going and they get let, let in and they're trying to find this specific kind of bird and then mm. they're inside the palace temple i i forget is a lake and they look into the lake and they see themselves Mm. Ah, like, I don't know the story. Beautiful. You are God. Right. <laughs> you are the one. You are the mystery, and it's it's inside you, and that interiority just doesn't occur, even in a um, science game C. Right. No. That's that not interiority where it is. doesn't have quality. It doesn't have qualia. Um, no. And this is the schism that I was feeling. Yes, right? right. So right. back to this kind of very personal version of it, which is. Mm. How can I exist in a world of is that has no ought, and yet I feel ought, and I feel social bond, I feel limbic resonance, I feel the desire for compassion, kindness, and love, and service, and purpose, but there, there's, no, there's no such thing in the materialist or even emergent scientific worldview that isn't somehow taking away the center of them. But then we have the other part of the double bind, which is we then built a scientific worldview that was based upon value-free isness. We got we wanted to get rid of our value as as spreathing thinking scientists who could interrupt the flow of direct empirical knowledge with biases and with theology ultimately um but then we built ourselves this cathedral as i said recently but no space to open our hearts within it oh, uh, and a metaphor yes well, yeah it came you know it's ch channeled um mm -hmm. <laughs> or not or not who knows um and so my so so much to say from what you just said so one of the the things that i wanted to do with my metaphysical work which okay. i do separate to some degree from my practitioner work mm -hmm. in that the process of transformation that I think myself and now Alison have unfolded, yep. Yep. discovered and constructed, mm -hmm. totally yep. up for knowing there's part of it we've constructed with our myths, stories, language, Western, weird, mm -hmm. psychological thinking. Right. Um, that's the process, right? You, you can be yep. any form of, of religion, no religion, yep. modern religion, and that's the process totally. of transformation. Right. And it is in some ways orthogenic in that it does want to go up 
towards the sun to be in some way unfolded and unfurled and fixations and distortions relieved and freedom psychological and an energetic release of all that trauma and repressed behavior and sadness and grief and whatever start and then we can serve and then we want to heal the whole uh, and be part of the whole and then we see it back to us right it's shining its face on us i totally agree um and metaphysics is so important to that but it actually is irrelevant so you can learn how to guide the process of transformation to unfold without any of that right and you and i both know that's not enough if we want to get out of this because that could still be all kind of discounted by right. a strong reductionist um and it's not enough so then i thought to myself there must be a soul for this and that came from a I guess a theological, but I wouldn't call it religious. Um, true knowing, which was, I know we're all one and everything is one to some degree. And the beauty of this is I remember sitting in my set, which is the word for like your your digs at Cambridge, with my two friends who were all who are now professional historians. Um, uh, they're both intellectual historians. And I remember saying to them, once you've deconstructed science or human science and or human science, and you have laid waste to any grand narrative um, that has any form of power and control within it, then what? Which is the great uh, vacuum from which people like Jordan Peterson have arisen because people have been lost in this um, deconstructive cycle downwards where you can criticize anything and, and lay waste to any structure, but then you have to build something because it's not enough to be is science. It's not enough to deconstruct is. Then we still have to have a shelter and some food and a, and a cooking and some form of community cohesion process. Sounds like you have a meta-modern sensibility, Nick. Oh, hello. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I do and I don't, I think. So okay. I think, right. I th yeah. or I should say, I think there's a meta-modernism that is not yet emergent. Right. Okay. That I align with, mm -hmm. where the cognitive complexity has been matched by expansions of our embodied wisdom, of our relationality. Mm, relation. Yes. Okay. And then I think I'd be a meta-modernism, meta-modernist. Mm, beautiful. In that if meta, if modern is the pursuit of the rational, I mean, right. you could describe a thousand versions of modern, but let's just say it's right. the pursuit of the rational and the break from the theological and yep. Um, yep. let's say empirical past. Okay. And postmodernism, as many have said, is just a form of modernism turned back on itself. Yeah. It's not a genuinely new type of thinking. Mm -hmm. Then for metamodernism to get off this runway of modernity, which basically leads mm -hmm. to meaning crisis, depression, stress, right. Um, schism, war, and let's not let's not forget the constant consumption of the earth yep. and this spewing out of carbon and pollution through that process. Okay. If we want to get off that runway, we can't just have thought alone. We okay. have to marry the thought back into the intuition, the heart, the feeling, the relationship, um, the presence, the being yep. here with you. Totally. As Greg, not 
me as thinker and you as thinker. Coin to coin from bottom up, brother. Coin to coin from bottom up. Exactly. Interoceptively up. And yes. what, I, you know, what I mean by that, for those who don't know what interoception is, it's the emerging science of our felt senses, which is one of the many places I'm now seeing where a deeply mystical view of the world and a deeply, let's call it naturalist view of the world, collide. And that's the kind of naturalism that I think you and I are aligned on, which is if there's any one thing, and I'm a non-dualist, a radical non-dualist, I believe there's only one thing, yep. um, then the most amazingly uncanny parts of consciousness, so yep. near-death experiences, psychedelic experiences, intuition, deja vu, and, and this is why I'll come back to that story I gave you about being in the creative industries, the actual experience and reality of creativity itself uh, cannot be described by a reductionist view no. have to meet somewhere back in the body oh. this body yep. in this kind of what people call expansive naturalism so a naturalism that is not wedded just to matter stuff it also is interested in consciousness stuff and i would go one step further and i hold a position that i am now calling non a uh, dual aspect non-duality in the book I call dual aspect monism and I realize that's not the case it's a dual aspects non-duality yep. um where I believe everything's one but it shows up everywhere in two mm. but it's still only one but we can study the two so I can study consciousness from the inside of me yep. and I can study matter by turning my gaze through a microscope back onto me yep fMRI x-ray microscope whatever yep. um and those two are always one but always two and i use the mobius strip as the as the metaphor for this on the front of the book always two always one right it's always one strip love it it's always two sides which then allows us to be panpsychists but without thinking that a rock is going to have a dialogos with me right i mean it might do <laughs> but i may not be <laughs> i may not be sensitive enough to pick up its genius i i would say <laughs> Um, but I love that rock, let me tell you. And um, then I think the coin and the tree are at, the coins in the tree, but you can't see it by staring at the tree. Totally. You'll never, and this is where I, so in the book, Spiritual Atheist, I did say at one point, much as my masculine, what I call control and protect mode or analytical consciousness, okay. much as it wants to circle the square of where spirit and matter or consciousness and matter collide right. and it might be the penrose and hammeroff microtubule theory it may not be um it might be in interoceptive awareness it might not be um it's a it's it's a false question created by the masculine in me because i don't need to know right and that might be the inherent mystery that the mystics speak of is the mystery right yeah. It's called, it's called the mystery traditions for a reason, because inherent, our partial analytical mind is constantly trying to understand our unitive, connective, cosmic consciousness, as James, uh, William James called it. Mm -hmm. And there's always a mystery because the partial can't fully understand the whole. And I'm happy in those moments to follow Wittgenstein's dictum and, you know, speak of, discuss it playfully, but not need to solve for it because that's mm -hmm. more of the masculine, modern masculine, mm -hmm. rather than the relational feminine. And I think metamodern 
I hope, for me, a metamodernism that's really metamodern is a marriage of our cognitive complexity going up and up and up to greater levels yep. of capacity that is rooted and tempered and expanded by our relational wisdom, our embodied wisdom. Because to then jump another thing, I don't believe we can enter what, you know, uh, Wilbur calls second tier consciousness without relational wisdom. I don't, I don't think it's Beautiful. possible to be teal or anything totally. like that. Yep. Totally. So Must that's, a, that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's wonderful and, and very, so let me riff off of that for a little bit, see where, see where it takes us. So a couple of things here. So one thing is um, I did an as above, so below transition in October. I was in a, you know, quasi mystical. I get into these sort of mystical enlightened places. Absolutely. That, you know, there are 10 year, maybe 10 different times in my journey over the last 25 years. And, and, and October was definitely one of them. Accidentally or intentionally? Um, it depends. It's it's sort of like I his, and historically I am really driven by the logos. I mean that's a, my path is driven Absolutely. by. So I'm, I have a feminine and feminist therapist heart, but I have a physicist head that wants that analysis. And I know that moment, you That's know. where we. That's why we so get each other. Totally, uh, <laughs> totally. And and so and then, but I, I I then charge myself and with the tree of knowledge and then uh, you know I've been off on that. And then, but, but my clinical feminine parts always grounding you back into what a man, people are suffering. You know, this is definitely, yes. wait a minute, you know, people are suffering. And that brings uh, that masculine back. It's just, it just sort of, says, you know, you cannot seek truth in and of itself. It's truth in the service of wisdom and wisdom ought to be in service of the alleviation of suffering and the orient Absolutely. towards the good. You know? Which is relationship. Carry which on. is a relation, in, in yeah. relationship to nature, relationship to other, relationship to Absolutely. my body. You know, uh, and the idea, the abstraction of it and the reduction of everything to the abstraction of it in some pure form is annoying as shit to this part of me. <laughs> you know, even as much my other parts, like, oh my God, I can figure this shit out. You know, it's a very Literally, before I jumped on this, I was having a hug, uh, like reunion with my wife. I haven't seen for mm. like 48 hours. We've seen each other. We haven't been together. Right, right, right. And I was like, having had this sort of quite profound upgrade of my own developmental stage, in the last month, which we can share in a second. I want to come back to you. But um, I was like, wow, you women must be really like, not just the me too pain yeah. of the masculine out of control in a toxic yeah. slash traumatized way. Toxic and traumatized are the same, right? Yeah. And you must be also just kind of bored of us mm. masculine freaks going off into grand narrative, going off into cognitive clouds and we can't be here with you and i was she was like yeah you think that's all you think what we talk about in our women's circles <laughs> and i was like uh, i yes, get it it took yes. me 47 years to get it but i get it right. <laughs> carry on so you had one of these mystical so anyway yeah, yeah. And, and it was called wisdom energy it was i stumbled into I think the... we spoke just you when you were in the high yeah you taught yes i you totally did. remember it totally. yeah yeah right i, I was like we're um, like speaking in tongues yeah, and uh, and I was just I was just and what happened was it was a complete the, I did a moibus loop and and I was actually more relative to any other time that I've been uh, in one of these I'm normally just chattering usually my hypomanic left hemisphere interpreter is just going off not this time uh, this time it was definitely a heart and embodied so the wisdom looped back into energy and I got resist and then I expanded really from below so I'd go on walks. And I would just watch and be and be present.
present in the silence of it all. It love, I was overcome. I talked to it with John and I was like, oh my God, this is, he was like, this is kind of like Taoism uh, and everything else. I was like, actually it's philosophia. It's loving knowing, but just as being, you know, I was, I was loving being without memory or desire. Yes. I was just being a judder of jouissance. Yes, 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 completely. It was, it was, it was really, so that was cool. Um, I love the point. The other thing I want to say is, I don't know how much you, you followed Lenny Rachel Anderson's view on metamodernity, but I really love it. Um, yeah. it not surprisingly, she's a woman. She brings a particular angle, which I find to be very nourishing. And I see, so she divides the evolution of cultural consciousness up into um, four different phases, which I think is really beautiful. And mm -hmm. I think we can spin uh, feminine relative to masculine energies in these phases. Yeah, they uh, kind least, of like alternate, yeah. right? Well, actually, I, here's one way of thinking about it. One way of thinking about it is that the, you have a relative balance in the oral indigenous frame of being, which is, and then actually, if you look at Venus figures and other things prior to uh, um, agriculture, there's an argument that maybe the early horticultural systems were actually matriarchal. So I'm going to right. go with that and say, actually, embeddedness right. in relation, embeddedness yeah. in connection, the oral indigenous frame of 25,000 years ago in our cultural consciousness is archetypally balanced feminine, okay? Uh, then we actually, the argument actually, I believe that's at least the most spiritually appealing is that we start, we're searching for justification narratives as people mm -hmm. get more and more complex. They ask why, why, why? Mm -hmm. And then you do activate an archetypal masculine search for the analytical answer for this, okay? Um, and then the, there's a, a argument, God, a human history by Aslan, who argues that like temples in Gogli Tempi in Turkey um, mm -hmm. may have been the seeds the building of these temples and the large scale nature of them may well have been the seeds of agriculture. Okay? Yeah. So in other words, people are getting more and more, they need more and more ritual. The clans are expanding, things like this. And They're I believe we couldn't, we couldn't have agriculture until from a Marxist view, there was a class that didn't have to do subsistence. Well then, uh, right. You then, stuff, it, right? It, it, once you, so the argument is now we're building these temples. Okay. Which by yeah. the way, means the, the drive for the concept of God yeah. and the honoring the concept of God then sets the stage for agriculture and the transition into civilization. So yeah. my atheist side's like, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> if, if the concept of God drove humanity towards uh, then the next phase, which is the traditional uh, you know, the traditional formal phase. Okay. Yeah. Some people call it traditional it's civilization. So yep. civilization then emerges from say 12,000 years to 5,000 years ago, it's certainly in full swing by 5,000 years. And then you get the uh, building of cities, of course, you get writing, you get the educated class, and then you actually now transition with the wealth, you transition into elite male dominance. Yes. Right? So, so the, the Bronze Age civilizations and the Axial Age civilizations, there are very few genuinely matriarchal or even balanced civilizations. Yeah. And the reason I think is because the archetypal nature of the male is more interested in, in taking risks. They're more structured and interested in taking risks to accumulate more and more wealth. If you do a basic evolutionary calculation on this, you can argue that the more a harem for a man offers all sorts of reproductive success, a harem for a woman, not so much because of the reproductive constraints. So the risk taking and the derive to gather more and more control over everything is. And I would argue that complexity levels are increasing which means there needs to be, whether it's man or woman, a masculine mm -hmm. mind ordering 
totally. complex systems in order for them to be efficient and effective at feeding the polis and dot, 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 dot. So you we needed a masculine boost, totally. right? It's a complicated algorithmic institutional structure Absolutely. that then Absolutely. has to be ordered in a particular kind of way that Absolutely. is less relational and more hierarchical Absolutely. to make it work. So then you get the then you get traditional uh, systems of knowing, which then give first you get Bronze Age and then that collapses. Then you get Axial Age, and Axial Age then seeds the traditionalist ways of knowing. Um, and and the East then is embedded in practical philosophy more and has those particular wisdom traditions. Uh, the West then, especially through the Greeks and then into 500 years ago. So interesting, 50,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, now 500 years ago, more or less, you get the Western Renaissance into enlightenment and mm -hmm. the birth of modern science, mm -hmm. okay? And then modern science then elevates rationale, you know, transcendent egoism, to use con mm -hmm. concept of pure rationality yielding pure truth that then systematizes everything, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and then the capital industrial labor market in relation uh, mm -hmm. creates a hyper-masculine structure. I have here, you probably have read this, Richard Tarnas's The Passion of the Western Mind. Funny enough, someone um, uh, who you know, Greg Thomas, sent me, yeah. uh, he read my recent art, uh, essay, and I read it years and years ago, and he resent me the epilogue, said... Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, actually, Greg Thomas was my scene for this too. Reread the <laughs> epilogue, yeah. and I was like, I haven't done it yet, because it was only two years, a couple of days yeah. ago. Okay, well. I was like... Yeah, so you carry on, as, as yeah. Tarnas says. So, and then Tarnas completely articulates this as a yes. hyper-masculine uh, sort of thing. Absolutely. And here's the last, so you have a, a feminine, a balance to feminine, mm -hmm. then we get imbalanced to mm -hmm. traditional, then we get actually even more imbalanced. Mm -hmm. I would argue that actually the postmodern critique, at least in all of its forms, mm -hmm. has a, has a, um, does have a feminine twist. Or, or feminine agree. Well, it's, it's interested. In, it's interested in relational justice in some ways, right? Yeah, it's care. In in fact, um, Steve McIntosh in his developmental politics argues that care, fundamentally, at least at the social justice and political movements, mm. can be argued to be the fundamental. At the social justice critique, it's about hey, the hierarchy and power is imbalanced. Who mm -hmm. have been the marginalized voices that have not been included in the relational web? Absolutely. We need to give value to those individuals. And in terms of political movements, it's not generally more feminine in architecture. It also is a return to the care of Mother Earth. Okay, so in environmental, could read socialism as a feminine archetype that was then hijacked by the hijacked by masculine totalitarian hypermasculinism again. Exactly because part of the problem, and this is something we really have to be aware of, is to control large-scale systems, you're going to get a masculine bias dominance in that structure. You yes. know, I've always said we need a lot more women in power. I've also always said it's going to be really hard. Uh, women that will <laughs> tap out in relationship to it and men will go right. more towards it based on a certain I mean, one of the quotes that Foucault, so I'm actually a Foucauldian. So I am a postmodernist ah, okay. in some ways. Huh? Yeah, I'm, Foucault uh, is brilliant in my opinion. I'm a mystical postmodernist who also believes in constructing and building and regenerating. And mm -hmm. we can come back. And that's why I love the regenerative frame that's emerging in the last five years. But Foucault, one of Foucault's quotes I love is, you know, who, so I misquote it, say, you know, how small and weak and marginalized do you want to make me when you say I am a scientist and I am doing science? Mm. And that was one of the bits of the postmodern, the feminine postmodern that says, no, we are not going to be pushed into a spreadsheet, yep. which brackets was how essentially the Holocaust occurred. Was the spreadsheetification of oh, the Prince Twoification of humanity, totally. um, and this desire, the feminine desire within the postmodernism, but it's also became 
if you read, you know, um, Derrida, it's a, again, hyper-masculine hijack yep. of the impulse of pulling power down, masculine power down and said, we are still equals. Yes. You may be more useful in the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. For the hierarchy's ends, you, CEO, prime minister, whatever, you may be more useful, but of value as human beings, we are still equal and have to Love always it. be. Love it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, so, so for me, one of the things that I do, that I can, I totally agree that we're on the edge of something. I mean, and yes. just project what the hell this emergent thing's going to be. I mean, you know, all you can do is say, Hey, this is the, some frame and that will be different than whatever the hell you project. Yeah. But I do believe, and especially, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, it's Lenny Rachel Anderson's version as a woman, I can say, Oh my gosh, that version of modernity that aligns these four sensibilities and then mm -hmm. invites us to cultivate a cultural sensibility code and consciousness that embraces oral indigenous, traditional, uh, formal, modern and postmodern, feels like it sets the stage for an inclusive. And notice she gets out of, it carries a lot of Wilbur's kinds of stuff. You know, it's got yep. some of transcend that. Transcend and include. Transcend and include and has a stage kind of model, but it isn't get you into second tier I mean, Wilbur's model is very hierarchical. People will clamor, I'm, I'm on the next color and I'm the next stage. And yeah. now can I be second? Who are here? you to say that you're teal? You yeah, exactly. That's and a I'm very, purple. I mean, I can, I can jive with that at one level, but it's actually a hierarchical dynamic. So what this basically is, is it then puts it much more in a horizontal circle. Um, yeah. it been, and, and I think it basically says, shit, man, we are out of balance. You know, yes. uh, we are way out of balance. And it orients both, it embraces the feminine critique a postmodern feminine critique it critiques postmodern by saying actually you're you're just a critique really you're yes, not you've got to build you've got to build you've got to build a bill and yeah. if we're going to get at back into balance you go back to the horticulture venus structures and basically yes. a relational webbing you know yes is completely and i like it also because like with the tree back there the left hand side is theory yes. which is the masculine yes. and then it switches over to the unified approach and ends with calm mo which is arguably the most feminine aspects curiosity You just glitched out on the feminine aspect. Yeah. I totally get it. That's where we got back to, in my language, interoceptive awareness, ah, illness, I, I, presence, right? Totally. Listening to my body's deviations from what we call the midline, yes. um, above and below, left and right, midline, um, slightly triggered, slightly in the rational, um, slightly threatened, slightly trying to play a status game dot 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 whatever it is that interoceptive awareness brings us right back into the feminine but we can still stretch up into the stars and it is Taoist because the Taoists are trying to bring heaven down to earth but cognitive complexity tries to bring earth up to heaven and we've got to have the return path and one of the things that you said i just want to riff off because uh, this is one of my areas of upgrade at the moment i'm like pff, 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 as well right right right, right. Partly because I believe this regenerative lens allows us to bring multiple tribes, frames, systems together and build, not just critique. But right. we'll maybe come back to that. So one of the things I think I love about um, Lene's work, who I quote in my last book, um, okay. I loved her, her model, and I've sort of riffed on it a little bit myself. And what it allows us to do, as well as transcend everything and include everything and, and not critique anything too much. And it's like a coaching model. It's like, you know, some of this patterning, you got to let it go, dude. It's, it's no, not working for you anymore. What we call it, it's a mismatch. And mismatches, that's why I love evolutionary theory, because it creates this idea of mismatch. It's not good or bad. It's just a mismatch for the moment. You don't have to make a big thing out of it, right? right. 
And what it also shows us in this metamodern emergence, let's not call it stage theory in the Wilberian sense. Let's call it in a, like more your tree. It's more like it recapitulates your tree, right? But it also recapitulates our consciousness because I think we can all get metamodern by opening up, opening up, opening up, opening up, releasing all these old theories and beliefs and patterning around structure, hierarchy. I'm the boss, you're, oh, but now we're all equal. And I, as I said, I love saying, there's nothing worse, there's only one thing worse than tyranny from above, from the patriarch. It's tyranny from below, from the mm. consensus and the need for consensus, which people are called woke, you know, wokeistan. Yeah, or, right, you know, I mean, yeah. And you know all about it. Let's not go there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, so what I love about this, this emergent, societal model a it recapitulates psychology and i ultimately hermetic truth as above so below it cannot be any different if, if we don't recapitulate the phylogeny um you know recapitulates blah 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 embryology you can see this emergence of structure yes. and complexity and what this model allows us to do is go this is one of my pet peeves at the moment is the fetishization of the shaman and the an animistic cultures <laughs> and ik individual indigenous knowledge it's like the answer no it's got stuff we've forgotten or misplaced, I would actually say. And I love reading some of the um, metamodern work within the scientists who come from indigenous traditions. It's a reminder. It's like, come back home to relationship, come back home to reciprocity, to interdependence, or rather it's an invite to the future because one of the things I keep saying to people is you cannot go back to a Dunbar number of 150 in a tribe where the shaman was responsible for that number of people. It was low levels of complexity. You didn't have to organize a water system that brings stuff in or electricity, blah, blah, blah. blah. Can't go there. Don't, let's not go back. But we can go back to the future and bring that animistic, bring it up. reciprocal, yep. interdependent relationships, but into a complexity level at the level of the global health system, the economic system, all these different things. So we avoid the pre-trans fallacy, in other words. Yep. Um, and that's also the fetishization of psychedelics, which was happening at the moment. Um, uh, similar issues um, uh, that we know. Other things that I really wanted to just pick up on what you said is um, how, so Jung talks about um, this idea that essentially bits of the other balance, where we're out of balance, bits of the other will pop up and create crisis, right, in some way. Uh, I believe he called it enantiodromia. Um, mm. And I may have got that, uh, spelt that, uh, pronounced that wrong. But the idea that in a normal human experience, we will get pulled into crisis turning point, which we call a transformation curve, we'll get pulled down it. We either, we either swim down it on purpose, which is what happens when you start to get the um, transformation process, that you have to go down before you go up. You have to release before you receive. So you start to do that preemptive. You go, ah, I'm feeling out of match with the world. I'm going to pre proactively go within and see where I'm holding trauma, pain, wounding, beliefs, assumptions, behaviors, addictions. I'm going to proactively release them so that I receive the next bit of my journey, which is where, you know, which is what's happening to you, right? You are proactively allowing channel, but we'd have to call it be weird in a weird way, but we'll come, I'll come back to that in a second. It's really important that we account for this, right? We have to yeah, account for totally. mystical, creative oh, flight yes. and the fugue state of creative expression. 
But then that enantiodromia, that pulling of the opposite, then puts us back into the midline again. So I believe in biology and in society, we have a midline, which is what you would call the balanced feminine, I think, in, in you know, a slight... I would say the midline is 51% feminine, 49% masculine. Mm. Just because if it's the other way around, we're slightly yeah. more threat response, hypervigilant, yeah. right? right. right? No, I, 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 and given in complex society, we're not, unless you're right now in Israel, but in Palestine, you know. But most of us are not in a threat state, in a physical threat state. So we don't need to be 51% masculine. We're back in the midline. Um, and society has the same. So you had the, mis the, the modern explosion um, and then you have the romantic, trying to pull it back yep. to the midline, but way too pendulum. And the challenge always has been in human beings, we're not very good at harmonizing. We're, we're all about pendulum. So you have postmodernism, and then you have this extreme version of a sort of Peterson style, mm -hmm. um, a, a brittle and a bit aggressive. And, and, and then it pulls, it, it's not harmonizing. Um, and that's the Taoist again, you know, they're always yep. talking about finding balance with nature harmonizing with nature which is what the shamans talk about um and i love that the society and psychology are all replicating this desire to be in this midline where the notochord embryo can unfold ah, into human, yeah. and then into society and then into metam and then da, 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 da. and so yeah just uh, just really love that story but let's talk about that channel state where you have yes. Right. Because this is where this dual aspect non-duality can i won't say account for from a scientific point of view can it but it can understand slash explain you know somewhere between the two right right right, right. Mm -hmm. so if we agree to some degree consciousness is in everything the, the pan the you know um pantheism panentheism panpsychist pansubjectivist pan interior let's call it pan interiorism there's okay. a interior, there's an interiority to everything but at levels of complexity where you get through the sort of tonioni level of mm -hmm. of a mammal right let's say a crow definitely you're by the time you're in a crow yes yeah, so i think they're crow I down into insects actually myself i can go all the way down into i'm speeding to crow because they blow my mind right we've got actually a lot of crows Perfect. around here in the yeah, garden no. and since the lockdown i've done a lot more what do they call it twitching tweeting bird watching <laughs> You can tell it's not my genre, but I'm I'm being called into this reciprocal interdependent relationship with nature. And I'm watching the crows. I'm like, these guys are definitely got some levels of conscious. I can commune with them. I can have like a little eye to eye thing. And he's eating my grass seed and he sees me and I know he sees me seeing him dot dot. So we've got consciousness within, but consciousness we know has to somehow connect with a quantum field of some sort because it's yep. everywhere and it has to, to be say about this yeah so there has to be some kind of string i don't know what it is i don't care what it is i'm not you know I'm, i care in that i'll read a book about it well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some i, I know you I'll will i know you will <laughs> um and going back to but you know bohm's idea you know of yep. of, yep. of implicate yes, exactly. world. Yeah. So if you've got the implicate world is the conscious the field of our consciousness and we've got the explicate world as a field of actualized stuff in the world what I fundamentally believe is us humans are the highest level of complexity, organism, organizing theory, organizing system, algorithm in the known universe. Totally. Seems to be one of only a few species and potentially the only one that can do it fully consciously, fully intentionally. Yep. Yep. Channel content, non-local content, non-local information yep. from the possible world. Yep. 
the, the world of actuality, which is what happens when we build or we write or we code. And one of the things that I say to people who are in the innovation space or the sort of like the creative space who are usually not known for their mysticism is like, if you really do innovation the way I've done it, yeah. hundreds of organizations, thousands of teams, ten, tens of thousands of leaders, mm. and if and always novelty will emerge and it's usually co-creative and it's usually a fit for it's evolutionary it's a fit for the emergent reality that's coming and it often happens in multiple places at the same time mm. hence metamodernism is now popping up yes, yep, independently yep, yep. Totally. you cannot be anything other than a mystic if you appreciate creativity because it's channel of of the conscious realm into the material realm and you and i and everyone watching this gets to consciously choose what to do with their 70 80 90 years of that capability let's consciously evolve totally and let's build something and build something right? yeah that doesn't okay. destroy someone else you know that's the <laughs> general rule build something wise <laughs> and loving right so tell me about your strings strings and things Okay, there's actually a couple things uh, that we need to, I, I want to get into rationality and relation. We touched on that. And perfect, some, perfect. So, yeah, so definitely want to say that. Um, and I want to tell you, I'll, actually, I'll go this way. So um, I'm going to go down, you talked about interoception. Yes. Right? So yes. John, uh, John Verbeke and I, you know, have been engaged in a journey on syncing up uh, on the science side here, but this is going to come right into our heart. Okay. Yep. I am, I'm body. sure you Okay. Um, so yeah. when I do calm MO and I encourage people to do calm MO, that's the psychological mindfulness stance. Mm -hmm. uh, I say calm body, calm heart, calm mind, calm spirit. Absolutely. Those are the layers. So, so the, and the, basically you have a perspectival view, you go down in the body. Okay. Heart really is your relational heart in the relational world. There was, you know, the limbic world of attachment and connection. Mind, in this case, I mean the narrator, okay, the talking narrator and justifier, and then the spirit is aligned with whatever your ultimate values are, okay, so you want to then, and the, the idea of vertical integration here, where you're seeking some degree of coherent integration. Absolutely. Okay? Uh, that's that, that's the, and that's a, you know, what happens when you get distressed and all of a sudden you get all these different modes, okay, and people yes. split. And I talk about a lot this all this time. If you're in a defensive place, if you start attacking me, then I will get defensive, okay. And then it splits. And then I get often a defy to first split. So the defy is, fuck you, Nick, I'm coming back at you. That's my anger, my hostility, my contempt on the one hand. Or, oh my God, Nick, you're right. I'm really sorry. I'm inadequate. That's defer. I'm shamed. I'm guilty. Okay. And these actually pull you in very different polar opposite views. Okay. And it's very difficult to find an effective, harmonious opponent process. And you go to black and white. And you well, yeah. can't find the third way. The splitting is the ultimate black and white, right? Right. Which is the, the, the personality disorder coming in that we all have capacity for, right? That's right. And and what and you can feel it if you know behavioral investment theory. The argument is actually your neurobiological consciousness system is looking for paths of investment. And yes. I can't simultaneously, although people with borderline bounce back and forth, this is what makes them erratic. You can't simultaneously defer and apologize on the one hand and be super angry in extreme ways. Now, a skilled communicator collects that exactly. Yeah. So the skilled communicator holds the, com the desire for connection on the one hand and the desire for self-protection on the other and creates an effective tone and process uh, that is both friendly and assertive uh, yeah. and shows the utility of that, but the splitting. So anyway, so John yeah. and I were 
uh, have been exploring that. Now let's go down to layers. The reason I started there is because into body. Okay? Yeah. So John and I's exploration of what consciousness is um, at, at, at work, thinking up, I have what's called behavioral investment theories, evolutionary, neurobiological into basic structure that invests and utilizes pain and pleasure as the foundational nature's guide. Okay. And John had built a model of consciousness that has, uh, that was really interesting in terms of having an, uh, an adverbial framing observing function that then brings onto the screen of adjectival awareness. So he split adverbial uh, awareness in terms of an evidence for that in terms of what he called the pure consciousness event. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pure consciousness events are meditators who can basically zoom back and back and hold their attention until all things disappear except just the pure conscious experience of being. So they mm -hmm. don't even have, there's no, and I'm not a meditator, so I can only speak, but John is, he certainly experienced this many advanced meditations. The adjectival features of consciousness disappear and you're left with the here-ness, now-ness and togetherness of the observing function. So that's yeah. really interesting. And John uses that to say that actually we, for qualia, we should separate qualia in terms of adjectival and adverbial, okay? Now I was like, well, wait, that's really interesting because for me, qualia emerge out of pleasure and pain. Mm -hmm. right? And then he and I got talking and then he was like, well, actually, Pleasure and pain then can be thought of, okay, as the prior, a priori field condition for the emergence of this adjectival ad, uh, and adverbial framing system, okay? All right, so we get into that, and then I start researching, and in particular, a couple of really interesting books, okay? Like this book, and very appropriate in terms of its title, The Evolution of the Sensitive Soul, <laughs> Yeah. Okay? Well, what is the evolution of the sensitive soul? It's an argument for the ancient origins of consciousness. Yeah. Right? And it says that consciousness fundamentally organizes when a system, an animal system, can figure out how to learn. Okay. It has an unlimited learning compension. Now, how does it do that? Well, here's what we get into. It consolidates the information between the exterior receptive system Yep. the sensing, detecting the exterior agent environment arena. Okay? Absolutely. It ratios that or puts that in relationship to the interior receptive system. Yep. Okay. Which is the homeostatic state of the body, which says, hey, yep. what is going on that's good and bad? And then it orients it in reference to the energized motion, emotional yep. system. Yep. Okay, that then tells and guides the body to do something about the relationship between the exterior and interior receptive system. Which is where negentropy pops in because well, you get life coming from this. You can, This is the guiding system that, that generates the complex adaptive system that allows you to navigate the collection of free energy in relationship and preserve the work function. And what that suggests is the field. This gets back into why you're interoception and when yeah. I do calm body. Yeah, it's basically the root of the conscious field. Absolutely, detection of what's going on out here relative to the interior state, relative to its needs. That gives the positive and affective valence flavors that Absolutely. create the field of experience. So now, all of a sudden, you actually have wait a minute this electromagnetic energy information field system that's mm -hmm. about ga putting gas on toward mm -hmm. something in a pleasure sort of way, mm -hmm. breaking something and moving away in a pain sort of way. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden we have this idea, we have a pretty clear idea, or at least a pretty clear coherent argument, that there's a neurobiological energy information field, okay, that's about positive and negative, 
and, and, and that potentially creates has to always be about the there has to be antagonistic pair yep i believe nature can't learn move grow expand without antagonistic pairs yeah, and this is why a positive opponent processing hence why we else. get the dual aspect non-duality oh. because we need to break up and in the dao first there's the dao then there's then the yin and yang then the ten thousand things which is everything right. diversity we need a breaking apart of unity to get into opposites though we must always remember that they're, the, they're they're one thing not two which is the the right. middle way um that adversarial um dialogic slightly against but also together allows movement it allows in any every sense of movement it's, change it's dynamic but, right learning. it manages all sorts of order chaos it manages all these polarities tricep bicep without as I say in my workshops, if you just had a tricep, you wouldn't be able to do very much. You know, you, you need these these antagonistic pairings. So the last thing I'll say, and then I'll shut up, but is then now, so, okay, so there's that. Now let me go all the way down, okay? Mm -hmm. And basically now pull up a particular frame of reference that then says, all right, so what happened in the 20th century is we actually realized that matter is not, everything doesn't clearly reduce to matter because there's shit underneath matter, okay? There's stuff underneath matter and both quantum mechanics and general relativity teach us this general relativity teaches us about the expansion of the universe and therefore its contraction down yes. into big bang which can only then or at least the vast majority of accurate models of big bang point to a crystal clear picture the universe begins as an energy information singularity okay that's the picture of the general relativity quantum field theory which merges out of quantum mechanics yes. changes the idea that there are these particles and forces and basically drops them all into energy information fields absolutely okay so now we can say quantum mechanics into quantum field theory and general relativity point to the base of matter being energy information fields okay that which that may matter. be something or no thing well to be right. To, yeah. be <laughs> to be discussed. To be discussed, right? But here's the emptiness point. or form. It doesn't well, really matter. Right. Well, now you can now you have a contrast. Right. Now there's a positive right. statement of the thing and the no thing in relation. Okay. Exactly. And now we can then say the thing is an energy information field at its root. So I've now been surveying all the quantum mechanics perspectives. Yes. And I would argue that actually energy information fields are things that all the quantum perspectives afford. They all say, actually, yeah, these are all these two conceptual metaphysical ideas actually yes. the energy information field is the most generalizable way to talk about the quantum energy okay so in that the three main descriptions of quantum mm -hmm. empiricism i mean ultimately in my very hacky way of saying it there's like there's a realist there's an idealist and yep. there's like somewhere in between and beneath that we can agree that there must be some web field string every so i would argue that everybody now is all the common quantum field people are now into quantum field theory they've gone from quantum mechanics to quantum field so yeah. that they, that particles and forces are conceived by virtually everybody as emergent functions as fluctuations in the field absolutely which is ultimately are, a relational which is very relational and contextual. Indra's net sort of yep. style exactly. metaphor. And the Big Bang goes, the Big Bang says that the four force fields of electromagnetic, gravitational, strong and weak nuclear, maybe there's a fifth, whatever, but he would say the same thing, are all yep. out of, emerge out of that Big Bang, the point of transformation starting with the Planck epoch. 
So you go from an electron, the first break is the electromagnetic field, which by the way, starts with a weird polarization between electricism, magnetism, and charge. <laughs> and then that step creates a space dynamic that creates yes. a gravitational force. And then the strong and nuclear, nuclear. So by the way, this shows that forced causal forces emerge out of, and there's complicated dynamics about what is caused metaphysically. But anyway, they emerge out of at least in a <laughs> time dynamic. Um, <laughs> in a time dynamic and the actual experience unfolding of energy and entropy, there's a time dynamic in the real actual from potential to actual universe that that is what happens. And yes. then you get the emergence of these forces. So you have energy information at the general relativity base. You have yep. energy information field theory at all the quantum bases. Yes. So now what we have is the right model for thinking about the universe is energy information fields, okay? Well, Jesus, Nick, if we start talking energy information fields, that's a great way to describe my own coin perspective. Right. I mean, what am I, I'm, I'm this sort of like, my, I have the subjective portal, okay, that has to have something, so some energy in it, and it's representing shit informationally. So the idea now that we, I mean, we couldn't figure it out before because we had this sort of matter in motion mechanics. If energy information field theory is a hell of a lot more congruent, and if everything's energy information field all the way down, that's a, that's a kind of consilience that sets the stage and maybe all the way up. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, so let's go back to um, Lenny's emergent social stages, yep. starting with the balanced feminine. You could argue that if the universe starts with a field, with a relationship, with a net, with an Ubuntu, with an interbeing, an interdependent reciprocal relationships that are many and one and nothing and something, they are neti neti, not this, not that. They are sunyata, but they are Brahman, they're Atman, whatever, to be discussed. Um, then we went to a masculine. Exactly. We then went to a masculine where we saw stuff, atoms, back to the atomists of the Greeks up to now. We went blah, 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 stuff, 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 stuff. Oh, back to the feminine again. Um, it's So we've kind of got, there's a there's a recapitulation of the regenerative shift, the metamodern shift within a scientific world that is coming back towards relationship and away from um, Beautiful. Uh, vertical. It's getting horizontal, right? Or more horizontal. More we, horizontal. We don't get rid of the vertical because I love this camera being a thing it oh, really works yeah. for me right. no, <laughs> um, i love you being a thing but i also love you being a process you know whatever and, we, and then we're getting into um the process theorists and the philosophers um i want to riff there's some huge synergies and i want to just wanna so you said at the beginning of your last um flow about let's go back to the interception right let's go back to the individual their disembodiment, their disassociation, the splitting, um, the black and white, what we call in our work, creating control mode versus, um, sorry, creating connect mode versus control and protect mode. You've got this, um, you've got this lack of congruence within um, that your mind and your heart and your felt senses and your behaviors are no longer congruent, um, which then causes ructions for everyone else in the system. Which is why, for example, um, the borderline chaos, uh, lack of truthfulness and chaos creates, pushes out the pain into other parts of the system. And we all have these tendencies, right? So, no, obviously we carry those potentials. And then, but then when we come back into congruence, inner congruence, Mm -hmm. we get, I believe, this thing that I now call jouissance, the French Mm -hmm. 
sort of orgasm, joy, flow feeling, which you could call Kundalini rising below. You know, then we've got this sense that there's energetic alignment where we're not neurologically distorted through unprocessed shock in the nervous system. Totally. Hence, we're bringing now Alison, my wife's work in around um, the storage of energy that was not released at the time because it couldn't be processed because it was too awful and the belief that your parent was you weren't safe with your parent dot 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 so repressed 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 but when we unlock that we get congruence um coherence and congruence which then allows for coherence with others hence why i believe but just a riff on that that until we have the relational co coherence right. together on the horizontal me and you we can't build this next level of human society. People don't feel safe and they're doing equality and all that. And we're not, we're just not coherent with each other. Yeah. We're not, in, not we're not in, love. we're not in love with each other. Mm. We're in rightness. And you know, one of the great sayings is you can't be right and be married. Mm. <laughs> we can't be my new saying. We can't be right and be regenerative. That mm. would be my, my next thing. So anyway, carrying on with your f flight. So then you said about this book you're reading about the external and the internal, which absolutely chimes with our transformation process. And it has to, right? Because otherwise we're all barking up the wrong tree. So so we talk about this idea that you've got an environment coming in. We know that senses. And then we have this environment, which is yes. now our um, interoceptive state and other right. things. And our job as organisms is to align when there's a mismatch. There's an alignment which allows for, for essentially growth and coherence to reemerge which is the impetus to move, to grow, to change, to transform. All the same word for the same, for one Energized thing. Energized motion, emotion, by the way. Emotion. emotion. Remember Tony Robbins on stage going, motion is emotion. I'm like, yeah. Um, uh, but he's, he's right. Emotion is the royal road to change, not the, not the low road. And as you, you know, the work of um, uh, Feldman Barrett around really only four, four emotions towards a way high and up and low, as you said, valence, uh and arousal right yeah. everything else gets meaning systems cognitively packed on it which is nothing wrong with that that's just part of the joy of of our narrative mm -hmm. confabulatory structures which helps us create sense boom Crucial. thank you thank you cognition love yeah. it um, justify justifiability absolutely and so then so in our transformation process we describe it as a j curve right mm. so imagine a j you're going you're starting is this on your left of your screen my finger or is it the yeah, right yeah. left yeah. so you realize there's a problem mismatch between your environment and your environment probably because if you're listening you're getting environmental signals mm. that something isn't right, right. threat fear disconnect yeah. weirdness yeah. they That's don't true. love me i don't know um, right. you're getting external signals which is not working which is oh i'm getting divorced oh i keep mm. uh coming away from relationships before i keep getting sacked i keep whatever so then you proactively or not go on this curve that goes down into into the mystical, the possible mm. world, the dipping into mindfulness, emptiness, whatever version of that. Right. And then you come out and you build, but you build higher than you were before Beautiful. because you've now got a better fit with the order structure. Um, so we talk a lot about fittedness, not just fitness. So if you think about antagonistic pairs, fitness is a description of the evolutionary value of something. Fittedness oh. is a description of the horizontal relational I match. Yes. 
Yes. And it, and then growth has occurred. And then, it, as you said, you get these moments in your life. That is the transformation curve. We call this transformation curve. That is the transformation curve or an antiodromia or, or a strange attractor pulling you into a next level, next level for you yeah, yeah, to grow, to reorganize, to come, to thrive, to fit more, which I believe we can all have many of these in our lifetime. And you have minor key, minor key ones and major key ones. And the major key ones are what um, Keegan or Wilbur might call a stage. Stage jump. Mm-hmm. Stage, stage jump. Stage and the minor jump. key are, minor, you know, little bits that it's build. A, a learning experience, absolutely. A meaningful learning experience. And I think if you have, you know, multiple minor key, then you get a major key. You're praying yourself for that kind of shift, yeah. Exactly. And so you get this um, uh, amazingly transformational process which is deeply wedded into the system into the system of being it's just the system of the universe whether you talk about wave becoming mm-hmm. uh quark let's just call it you know to totally show my ignorance of physics when weight when field becomes quark it then the becomes force gets a perturbation that jumps into a quark i'm with you well, when you get, you know, um, the what do you call them? The the flavors of particle when they turn into charm, you get charm. So you get the splitting again of unity into two. And so two can learn, two can move, two can grow. And then, it, but it, but we often get stuck in thinking we're two. And that I am not you and you're not me. And that I'm not feminine. I'm not feminine because I'm a man, blah, 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 history of right, the world. Right. And hence, we need to always remember that we're one, but also two, one, but also two, which is a really great um general sort of heuristic for for leadership we're reason in relation <laughs> exactly and that's where this relate reason relations thing is coming in and then again one of the things we always must remember and that's why you, you said lene was has a more circular idea but the developmental psychologists most of them mass male are going like this right they're going up up, up, yeah, up. Yeah. Like the classic consultants diagram the good thing is in the top right the bad yeah. thing is in the bottom left and we can take you here, baby. Um, so, <laughs> um, but we must always remember that this flight towards truth, rational cognitive complexity up here towards the sky does is actually a circle that gets us right back into our interoceptive cellular state back on the inside. Love it. That's actually what the wisdom energy loop was because I went back to the universe. <laughs> and then you're next thing you know. And went back. You're walking, right? You're walking in nature because it's an immediate regrounding of the energy back in what is here now in the relational, in the earth. I was was, was definitely one with the Big Bang when I was in it. Totally, totally, totally. And um, so, yeah, do, should, we, should we riff on this um, relational rational piece? Um, Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, well, yeah, we, why don't we do that and get a vision of what your future is? Let's go into the relational rational piece. Fine. It's so rich. It's uh, a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good um, thing. So I've just gone through a 16-year, we could say 35-year, but 16-year major key transformation upgrade really? developmental stage. Which is ironic because I described this stage in our five stages of development as a leader. I describe it in a book before I'd fully achieved it myself. Hence showing that theory can inform practice. Like we need theory to get, show us what's possible. And that's the joy of the developmental stage theories is that they, but rather than look at them as a critique that we're not there yet, you can look at them as this unbelievable possibility of how much learning and growth can occur in one human's lifetime. 
So let me sort of sort of um, and this is really like we're talking about exactly the same flavor as the balanced feminine turns into the feminine in terms of the masculine in terms of the feminine. So for me, the five stages of a leader, not childhood developmental stage theory, okay. adult stages, and these map onto Keegan's work, but they push it a little bit deeper into wisdom, into the feminine. Mm. And my sense is that we are all born in the feminine because yeah, well, we're also reliant, right? On, there. <laughs> we're totally dependent. So we have no hubris oh, in that way, uh -huh. as well, right? So we're totally reliant on a, on the mother um and we're relational because that's all we've got we don't have thought and then we develop rational thought we develop the masculine and we go out and we build things and we learn stuff and we learn how to fit into society blah blah blah, blah. you've heard it all before um and then i believe we pop out uh, ideally at the stage of what i call um a deliverer so you're able to de deliver to time to quality to budget something of value to society okay. in its current state. Right, you've built some confidence you can give to society. And I always tell people we employ, and I tell people in, in workshops, you need to have a technical skill. Do not try and jump stage theories. Like if you're a Gen Zer who's trying to be a second tier teal <laughs> genius, great for you. But meanwhile, get a day job and do some technical learning, right? Yeah. Ideally, it should be in the thing you're interested in. You know, that's great. Be a workshop person, a systems person, write, whatever, edit. Um, then you pop out. Uh, then you then you have the capacity to challenge that, just, just, the wisdom, uh, the receive wisdom, the rules. Um, probably because you're seeing anomalies. Let's go back to Kuhn. You're seeing anomalies pop up. Most people can't see it. You can see it. And then you pop into this inno innovator, what we call the innovator. And our world currently fetishizes the innovator. Mm. This is the Elon Musk. Okay. But it's usually about still about self. It's usually still about um, overcoming some form of developmental pain that you weren't seen or heard enough as much as it is delivering value to the world. It's a win-win for those two systems. And if you are willing to go further into relational, further into yourself, into your felt sense, into interoception, into relationship with someone else, intimate. Because all of these are different tools to get relational, right? Meditation, marriage. I should say, new program, meditation or marriage. <laughs> Choose one. Both one or the other. I went with marriage both, myself. I both are free. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can bring yourself deeply grounded back into that relational truth, whether it's in the you know, the mycorrhizomatic nature whether it's in your communion with a tree whether it's in having a child whether it's in um loving the world so much you can then rebalance your innovate innovatory desires mm. into a genuine purpose-driven form of of action in the world right which i think would equate to keegan's self-transforming mind so you've got the self-improving disruptors mind and then you've got this transformational mind um, the challenge you've got, and I think that the quality of the transformational, we call them transformers. And I, I've talked about them as a culture hero um, because that's a nice sort of framing, but it's just a, a way. They're, they are, it's server, surrendered servant stewardship. So there's a three words I'm using at the moment. Surrendered, stir, surrendered as in you are listening to right. that channel. You are not hubristically, you are gui being guided by your inner, in, your inner, your environment not just your environment right 
intuition, insight, imagination, which is, I think, the three qualities of the environment, and it's refined. Um, you are serving the world genuinely, but within a way that doesn't impoverish you. You know, you're not, you don't, the worst thing you want is what I call purpose orphans and purpose widows. Mm. We're so busy changing the world, we're traumatizing our children. No. Um, and it's stewardship. So it's, it's not afraid to be hierarchical. It's not afraid to say, thanks for all the consensus, everyone. I'm sorry, I'm going to do something totally different because that's what I think is best for the world. You've still got a beautiful generative hierarchy. You can call it a transformational leader, a transformer, whatever. And I truly believe, and this is a, what I think would be called a second tier thinker. Um, I truly believe we can't get there until we shift the masculine from the feminine. Mm. So I've always been a, fem a masculine lead with a feminine un un inner that I had to felt I had to protect because it wasn't seen or heard this right. artistic trans type mm. energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And until we, this is from personal experience, until we flip to our masculine power and strength and rationality is now in service of feminine relational presence love connection kindness compassion right we won't even get to the stages of complexity we need right because they need to come back they need to be in balance they need to be well i think we, i call it a threshold in mm. i don't think you can get to truly you can get to systemic complexity but i don't think you can get to regenerative complexity where you see the webs of life the, ah. from the quantum right. field to the mycelial field to the social field, to right. the global complex network that it moves towards thrivable outcomes, not extraction and exploitation. Right. 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 Without that relational shift, it's called a relational shift or the repair. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. And that's my critique of the current metamodern movement. Gotcha. It mm. yep. hasn't mm -hmm. quite done the inner work yet to live up mm. to its outer work potentiality. And I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I, I'm going to be, as they say in Clubhouse, I will be complete, which is um, part of this transformation happened. And this is why I love stage-based theories, but also critique them. Yes. My son, um, who's nine years old, um, a few months ago, my wife and I started sharing with him the idea of transhood mm. or gender non-binariness. Okay. And he, by holding space, safe space, he decided he wanted to try on my wife's Chinese dress with makeup and stuff. Uh, He's often you warm nail polish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We and I, my, you know, we talked about not to be shocked or you know, not, none of that old patriarchal stuff. Right, 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 right. I then asked him, "Who is this person? And you know, who, what is this archetype within you? Whether you call it, um, you know, voice dialoguing." type right. idea or an architect who is he said her name is kenya no he said his name is kenya and i said is when you're in kenya mode are you a she or you he goes no i'm a he still i said do you and you know i was talking about you know do you still think you'd have kid you know be a man he's like no it's just it's what i got from it was he was a um he's in, inhabiting this gender non-binary mm. experience within him not all that he doesn't want to do it all the time it's just a piece of yep. him Okay. But it's the piece of him that's crushed in most of us. Right. And I think it's essentially Jung's anima in him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And from his breakthrough, transformation, mm -hmm. opening, 
I discovered in the last few weeks, I have an inner archetype that I've been dialoguing with, doing some inner child work, which is at the core of our transformation work, who I've called Sky, with an E. I told my son about Sky last night and he was like transported by the thought that he'd inspired his father. And he knows we do this stuff for a living, right? He's been on our workshops. Right, right. right. And that's why I don't want to ever confuse these stages of development over necessarily age. Right. Particularly when we come into the relational embodied wisdom piece. I think it's hard to get a six-year-old thinking about how to solve for um, a regenerative health system. Although this same boy is working with my wife on a version of Monopoly where everyone wins. His idea, not ours. Right. He was like, what? Well, so he started giving me money playing Monopoly. I was like, well, that's not really the game, son. He goes, I don't get it. Why would you not want some money from me so you can carry on playing? And I'm like, the relational. That's the feminine, right? Keep playing. Let's not win. Let's play. Um, and so... I think I'm very hopeful, in summary, I'm very hopeful right. this this regenerative turn, which I think brings together social justice warriors, ecological justice warriors, business people, developmental theorists, metamodernists, I hope, um, potentially even spiral dynamic blue type formal mm. order people. But I'm working on that, how we get them in. Um, because it kind of goes against the Bible story about mm. the planet is our dominion for humans. Right kind of story discord um this regenerative turn says we don't want to go back we want to go forward we want to not just take any part of what we've learned out of it we don't want to fight attack anything transcend and include um bringing back the regenerative movement is definitely replete with animist shamanic indigenous knowledge types bringing us back into this reciprocal relationship between us and a plant between a plant and a fish the salmon berry and the salmon, the sweet grass, you know, blah, 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 blah. And from that shift in our embodied consciousness will come business models, educational models, educational curricula, um, corporate structures, all of it can go through a full on transformation curve shift to be fitted to a nine billion yet one planet and one psychology reality. Well, so yeah, that's what gets me up. Drop the mic on that thing. <laughs> um, because their meta theory and practice are aligned. Because right. masculine and the feminine are aligned, right? Yeah. No, so no. the work you're doing, the work I'm doing in the theory, is absolutely critical to allow the practice to evolve and to fill in the space. Um, as you said yourself, we don't know the answers. We don't have to know the answers because if we get in alignment into receptive alignment, limbic alignment, cognitive alignment. We go, we both get into channel. Then we both come up with ideas. Other people somewhere else have the same ideas. We then have the technologies to meet our ideas up. We don't have to all build them ourselves. And that's the promise of the networked age. But I'm not, you know, the jury's out whether we get, whether we, whether we do it. Oh. Hmm. Let's go back to that. Yeah, my soul and spirit is feeling revitalized <laughs> through a naturalistic Ooh. ontology that all of a sudden affords us an enormous number of potential. <clears throat> That's just brilliant, Nick. That's just really touching and brilliant and moving. And Amen, aho. Amen, aho, man. That's the, <laughs> the indigenous Judeo-Christianic conversion. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and, 
and this is this is what I this is the feeling, you know, the feeling mm. that when you obviously, as I felt you and the energy that you have and, and the synergies and the coherent integration with different parts of yourself and have gone through that myself, the beaten aspects and the split off aspects, and then having the opportunity to feel that coherent um, wisdom, energy and whatever mm. in relation, right? It's so yes. powerful. And I look across them as a clinician, as I know you do in relationship, you know, just what we see, the suffering and the meaning and the mental health crises and what could be afforded so much more joy, you know, and an opportunity for love and connection. And that's what my great hope is. And I think you articulated that for a potential vision uh, just in a way to warm my heart, brother. So. Oh, right back at you. You are the mirror, uh, you know, uh, and uh, a new friend of mine, and I'm making so many new friends at the moment, like we're Ooh. new friends, right? Where right. we're colleagues right. and we're fro leagues, as I've heard right. said. Um, we've only met three times, I think four That's times. Amazing. Four That's hours amazing. in total. And yet our field is, I would willingly put you up in my house, do whatever, you, support you in any way, right? Here for, right, yeah, totally. The but this coherence only occurs with this heart being healed enough from trauma and pain and suffering and oppression for us to be in alignment with ourselves and for me not to pick up blocks to you and walls to you status gains with you i don't need to jump and make myself look cleverer than you i'm happy for you to be cleverer than me i'm happy for you to know shitload more than me which you do um, <laughs> i don't know about that and know, um well in different that's what i mean because i don't need to peg myself to you right right because I am pegged underneath with my conscious experience of, of the universe slash nature slash God. I'm a Spinozan ultimately. All one. And that's why Spinoza was a genius because he's yeah. saying it's natural, it's ontological, it's coherent, and it revitalizes the soul and the spirit. Because this- It's an ethic, it gives what, an ethic. It gives an ethic, it has to. You have to get from is to ought. And you can only do that when you bring matter, science and wisdom together but when you do you get what you've been calling wisdom energy which i've been calling jouissance which someone else has called kundalini or whatever you want to call it and that lived experience of human beings coming into alignment to co-create a better solution than the one we have now it's what got us here and it's the only thing that's going to get us out you know amen aho amen aho. I can imagine the emails. Uh, Stop appropriating uh, my technology. Right, well, no. <laughs> oh man! Anyway, that, that's a heck of a ride, Nick. That's a it, yeah. Ride. Thank you for holding space for this um, friendship and and oh. collectorium. I would really love um, to the moment when it comes where we can get in a room and, and with a big whiteboard and um, oh, that's gonna etch, be yes. Getch and Total. I think there's something. What you were saying and what you're saying about the different i just think there's so much room for i know it's the 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 word of the day consilience um I remember reading the book by um uh what's his name the, so, the sociobiologist um called oh, consilience. E. wilson right e. Wilson. yeah 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 1997 that came out exactly back to the 90s actually. i I, had, I developed the tree of knowledge and then read it at, right as it came out i was running on the edge and got the first copies it's unbelievable yeah it's fabulous totally and, and that's that intuition that mm -hmm. there has to be in a, a there has to be a natural um in nature rooted in nature yet knowing that nature is deus is consciousness is god right. at the same yeah, time have the whole, have have the whole. nature 
ontological allows us to be practitioners, practical, and that revitalizes the soul and the spirit and just being unashamed to own your S words. Right. Thank you. All righty, Nick. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. Deeply meaningful. So, boom. We'll end it there, brother.